Fantastic. Awesome. Such a privilege to be here um, this morning. Your praise and worship was off the hook, man. It was really, really good. It was great. Guy on the keyboard, man. He, uh, he was great. And then the young people. Amen. Young people in church on a Sunday morning playing for the Lord. That's brilliant, ain't it, man? Amen. Fantastic. Awesome. And I thank you very much, Jared, for inviting us. Um, you know, we are a body. How many know the church is one body? Amen. We are a body, we're here, we're partnering together, and we're believing by the power of Jesus we can take this city, amen, and we can see lives changed and lives restored by the power of Jesus. Can someone shout amen? Amen. amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 40, and we're going to read from verse 2. I'm going to share a testimony, um, a story of my life. See, because many people come to me and they always ask me, they say, hey, listen, there are many religions out there. What's so special about your religion? There's so many religions out there. I mean, there's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, there's Islam, there's everything else. What makes you think that Christianity is so amazing, that's so awesome? Do you know what I tell them? I tell them Christianity isn't a religion, it's spiritual power. It's resurrection power. See, because how many know that... Darwin came into this world, died and stayed dead. How many people know that Muhammad came into this world, died and stayed dead? How many people know that Buddha came into this world, ate too many cupcakes, died of a heart attack, died and stayed dead? But the Bible says that Jesus came to this world, he died and on the third day he got up out of that grave. I'm here to let you know that Christianity is more than a religion, it's resurrection power. And when you are in Christ, you have that same resurrection power. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Transformation from the book of Psalms, chapter 40, verse 2. In November uh, 2014, my wife and I, and we were launched out from our church to go and start a church plant. And so it was incredible. It was at a conference. There was all our churches, our local Potter's House churches from all over England, from all over the world. And they all gather and they launch us up going into the city of Hull, Mo and Elizabeth. And everybody's clapping. Everybody's cheering. And, you know, we're praying. People are hugging me. Some of the guys tried to kiss me. I'm like, hey, bro, we don't roll like that over here. But hey, man, it's all good. And so we're all clapping. We're all happy. And I remember as that everything died down I remember going back to the hotel and I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I remember thinking wow now not at me amen but I remember thinking wow God I am a pastor God I I'm a preacher. Now, see, it wasn't out of arrogance or, you know, hey, I am the bishop around here. You know, I, I'm the governor around here. It wasn't like that. See, because I understand the trials and, and the things that are thrown out the head. I understand these things. But see, I remember looking at that thinking, Lord, you took me from where I used to be and you used me as a pastor. See, because if I would let you know my story. If I let you know where I came from, if I let you know what I've been through in life, you too would be like, wow, God, you are awesome. And so I want to share a bit of my story with um, you. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2, the Bible says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established 
my steps. Father, I pray, Lord, seal this word this morning. I pray, Lord God, stir hearts this morning and speak in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted. And everybody shouted. Amen. The Bible says that God has the ability to pull us up out of a horrible pit. Now, the word translated in that word is literally a dungeon. That God, the God that you and I serve, has the ability to pull us up out of a dungeon, out of a horrible pit. I remember I was reading a story about a lady who was walking in a forest. And so as she's walking in this forest, she falls down into a pit because the hunters had set up a trap. And so here she is, she's in a pit. Can you imagine just going for a walk and ending up in a pit? She's not sure if there's any worms or snakes in there. She's not sure if there's any spiders in there. She's not sure if another animal's going to drop down and be inside the pit with her. Can you imagine? And so she's in this pit for a few days and somebody comes and they rescue her. And so they say to her, hey, while she was in this pit, what was the worst part about being in a pit? Was it the fact that there were insects in there? Was it the fact that another animal could fall in? What was the worst part? Guess what she said? She said it was the darkness. She said that the fact that I was in this place, that no matter where I looked, I couldn't see anything. When I looked in front of me, I saw darkness. When I looked to the side, I saw darkness. I couldn't even see my own hand in front of my face. I saw darkness. Being in a pit means that you are surrounded by darkness. And see, I grew up in a place called Peckham, which is in southeast London. Now that place is the pit. That place is the dungeon. Because growing up in Peckham, I was surrounded by darkness. Wherever I looked, I could see darkness. I looked to the left, darkness, crazy people. Listen to me. You may think you got crazy people in Hull. In Peckham, there is a different level of crazy people. I'm talking, you will just see people walking on the streets. Hey, how are you doing? I'm sorry I couldn't. And the guy's not talking to anybody, just himself. No hands-free kit in his ears. People are insane. You would hear stories about people being stabbed, people being shot. You would hear stories about police officers involved in buying drugs of drug dealers. Mad, insane area. And so for many of you, maybe, you know, you would have read stories in the newspaper about this type of behavior in Southeast London. But see, I lived in it and I saw it. You know, I remember there was a time I was, um, we were on the bus. I used to go to a, a school called Kingsdale. Now, Kingsdale wasn't much of a school. It was more of a prison. And that school was, you know, it was bad. And so... I remember, you know, I used to have a gang of us. There used to be about 10 of us from Peckham. We were called the Peckham Boys. Very creative name. Boys from Peckham called the Peckham Boys. And so we used to, you know, we used to get the bus. And everybody knows all the cool kids want to sit where on the bus? At the back of the bus. And so we were the cool kids. And so we used to sit at the back of the bus. And as we're at the back of the bus, we always used to laugh and joke and, you know, we'll be cussing each other. Your mama's this, this, that. And we just laughing, having a joke. And I remember one time we're having this joke. We're laughing. We're smiling. And all of a sudden, everybody's making noise on the bus. But all of a sudden, this girl walks onto the bus and all the boys went silent and they turned their head. It was like thriller. And they looked and they saw her coming up. 
And they were like, wow, look at that girl. Listen, I want to go and talk to her. And all of a sudden, a fight broke out in the back. All the guys were arguing, no, listen, mate, you spoke to the last girl. It's my turn. Come on, let me speak to her. And I'm looking back and all my friends, and all of a sudden, they start playing rock, paper, scissors to see who's going to talk to her. Rock, paper, scissors. And it was so funny because the guy that won rock, paper, scissors was a guy by the name of Baba Tunde. Now, Baba Tunde had just come from Nigeria from six months. He's been in England. And so he had the strongest Nigerian accents. He was my best. Yeah, he was a good friend character. And so he gets up because he's going to go and go talk to this girl. And we're laughing because, see, I know this girl. I know this girl is very rude. I know this girl doesn't accept approaches from anybody. And I know her brother is one of the biggest gangsters in South London. And so Tunde gets up. He's like, watch this, watch this. And so he goes over to her. And so he's like, darling. <laughs> And so we all look, we're like, what's going on? And so she looks at him. And you know that look that only females can give you. Some of you husbands know that look. That look that says, are you out of your mind? And not only did she look like that, she actually said it to him. She said, excuse me? He said, yes, of course, I would like your number. She said, listen, you are ugly and you need to step away. Matter of fact, you need to step off a cliff. And we're in the back. We're like, oh, my goodness. We're laughing. We're joking. There was an old lady in front of us. She was holding her head as well. It was embarrassing. It was very, very funny. But then Tunde looked at us. He looked at her. He picked up his hand and he slapped her across her face. That's what I said. And then all of a sudden, she goes crazy. Listen, I'm going to call my brother. And I'm like, uh-oh, I know her brother. You shouldn't have done that. And Tunde, he's like, listen, go and call your brother. I've got all my friends with me. I'm like, I ain't with you on that one, mate. No, 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 no. Speak for yourself. And so all of a sudden, she's on, I'm going to call my brother. And Tunde's like, yeah, yeah, call your brother. So the bus stops. And she says, listen, get off the bus. And so Tunde looks to us. He says, all right, boys, time to go. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so we get off. And as soon as we get off the bus, there are four boys with cricket bats waiting for us. I remember I get off the bus and I'm next to Tunde and she points. I'm like, him. <laughs> don't get it twisted. <laughs> And all of a sudden, these boys start swinging the cricket bats. And they're not like Alistair Cook. They managed to hit the target. And they're beating him. They're whooping him. Tunde's on the floor. I'm like, listen, stop. They swing for me. I said, mom, did you call me? And I walked off. And so they're beating, they're beating him. Main high street in Peckham, broad daylight. People are just walking with their shopping bags, looking carrying on, moving about their business. And I remember as that happened, they literally left. They, they beat him back and boo. They left. And as they're running, one of the guys bumps into a woman. And this woman falls to the floor. But see, this woman was with her son. And her son was a bigger gangster than the guys with the cricket bats. Because how many know you think you're big and tough, but there's always someone bigger and tougher than you. And so now they've knocked over this guy's mum. He's grabbed them and he's rang his friends and they've come and there was a stabbing taking place in broad daylight. Blood all over the pavement for five days you can walk by and there was blood. Now think about this. All my mum did in the morning was kiss me on the cheek, send me off to school and say go and get an education. That was it. In the space of six to seven hours, 
I've already seen a young girl get slapped in her face. I've already seen my best friend Baba Tunde get beaten with a cricket bat. I've already seen another man in front of me getting stabbed almost to the point of death. Do you know why? Because I grew up in a pit. Everywhere I looked, I could see darkness. Everywhere I looked, all I could see was darkness and evil. All around me, young girls being used and abused. Men being annihilated and violated. That's all I could see growing up in the dungeon. How many thank God that God has the ability to pull us up out of the horrible pit? Can you say amen? There may be people right now, you may be in a horrible pit yourself, that you look into your life and all you see is darkness. You look into your finances and all you see is darkness. You look into your marriage and all you see is darkness. You're in a horrible pit. Can I tell you that God has the ability to pull us up out of the horrible pit? Can you say amen? The Bible says that not only does God have the ability to pull us up out of the horrible pit, he also has the ability to cleanse us from the miry clay. See, miry clay is serious. Miry clay is literally um, translated as wet mud. See, if there's anybody here and you've ever tried to clean wet mud off your trousers, you know it's not easily coming off, right? It's going to take a bit of cleaning. It's, it's hard. See, because there are certain things that happen to us in life that are not easy to just shake off. Can you say amen? There are certain things that we go through in life, certain abuses, certain violations that stick to us like wet mud. And one of those for me happened regarding my dad. See, my dad was everything to me. I love my dad. You know, watching the baby dedication is so awesome. That's how I used to be in my dad's hands. My dad was excited over me. I love my dad. I want to be like my dad. I wanted to walk like my dad, talk like my dad. I love my dad. When he used to go out to work, I used to cry. And my mom's like, what are you crying? I want daddy to come home. She's like, don't worry. He's coming home. He's coming home. I love my dad. I used to be there shaving with him. I, I used to put some foam and some plastic and I was shaving with my dad. I love my dad. He was my role model. He was everything. But one day my dad left. And when he left, it was like a piece of me left. When he left, it was like my whole life stopped. Who's going to be my role model now? Who am I going to walk like now? Who am I going to talk like now? Who's going to be there for me? Mom, where is dad? He's gone this time. But he always comes back. He ain't coming back this time. Who's going to be my dad? Who am I going to walk like? Who's going to be my role model? Who's going to be my inspiration? Dad, don't leave me. Dad, don't go. Because how many know it takes a mom and dad to make a child, so it takes a mom and dad to raise a child? That's why we're in a generation now that's trying to push that away. But listen to me, I lost my dad, but thank God Jesus says he is a father to the fatherless. There may be people right now, you may not have your father with you. Can I tell you, you have a father in heaven. Can you say amen? God himself will be your dad. But at those times, I'm like, who's going to be my dad? And I found some dads. And you know who my dads became? The local drug dealers. The local murderers. The local guys with their BMWs and their Mercedes. See, because I used to live in a high-rise estate. And so every time I used to come back from school, my dads would be there waiting. My real dad wasn't at home, 
but they would be there. Hey Mo, how was school? Hey Mo, how are you doing? They used to take out wads of cash and take off a £10 note and give it to me. And I was like, yes, my dads are providing for me. Now, see, I, know I never had a dad. My dad's gone. But now I've got some new dads. And guess what? I want to walk like these dads now. I want to talk like these dads now. These dads are there for me. I want to be like them. And guess what? I became like them. I started smoking the weed that they were smoking. You know the same way I used to be there shaving with my dad? I was there smoking with my new dads. Smoking cannabis. The same way I used to want to be like my dad, do the jobs that my dad did. I started doing the jobs that they did. I started selling drugs, started selling crack, started selling heroin. Why? Because my dads were doing it. And so growing up in South East London, that messed me up. That was like miry clay all over me. And I remember there was a time where I had a friend called Deepon. And he rang me up one time and he said, hey, listen, we've got some drama. We've got some beef. We've got a fight going on with another gang. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to come and help me. And so I remember I go into the kitchen, I grab out some kitchen knives and I go down to where Depot is to go and face these other guys. And so we run down, we take the knives with us. And as we're about to, to pull out our knives, the other one pulls out a gun. Boom. And he shot my friend, bam, right in his stomach, right in front of me. And so I pick up my friend. And the worst thing you should ever do to someone when they've been shot is run with them. See, because the bullet's still hot. So it's traveling around as I'm running with him. Bam, he falls down. 14 years old. Real life, amen. Myri Clay, I'm dealing with this. My dad, my friends, even me. I remember one time another gang comes into an estate and they catch me. And I had some issues with them, some problems with them. And they pull out knives and they start stabbing me all over here. One, two, three, four. Five times they stabbed me, literally nearly killed me. I remember when I went to the hospital, the doctor said the last stab into your back, Mo, was inches away from your spine. You should be paralyzed. Stab marks all over me. Myri Clay, all over me, messed up. There are people right now, you may not have physical stab marks on you, but you have emotional stab marks on you. Life has stabbed you, rejection, ah! That man left you, ah, this guy violated me, ah, debt and problems, stab marks all over you. It's like the miry clay. But how many thank God that God has the ability to pull us out of the horrible pit and wash us from the miry clay? Yes, there may be wet mud, but how many thank God that there is wet blood as well? That the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all the mud. And so here I am. A teenager stabbed five times, friends dying, friends in prison. I got arrested over 25 times as a teenager. Horrible pit, miry clay, my life's a mess. And see, not only did bad things happen to me, but I also did bad things as well. You know, I was a heroin dealer and heroin is a horrible drug. It destroys people's lives. I remember I sold heroin to someone one day and as I sold the heroin, I saw them take it right in front of me. And as they took it, 
they they fell to the floor, begin to foam at their mouth. And I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know if this person's going to die or live. I'm out of here. And I remember saying to myself, you know what? It's over, Mo. You need to stop this lifestyle. Anybody ever got to a position in life where you're saying, you know what? This has to stop. You're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what? I can't keep living like this. But see, like many of us, I said it with my mouth, but the next week I was still selling drugs. How many of us have said, you know what, I'm never going to do that again? And the next week we're back doing the same old thing. Amen. And so here I was, I'm in the same situation. I'm saying to myself, one day I'm going to change. One day I'm going to be different. One day. But one day was one day. Because what happened is that I was in Bournemouth. And I was there and I was selling drugs as I normally did. And as I was selling these drugs, I remember we used, to, we, used to live, we used to sell drugs like in the forest. And so the crack addicts and the heroin addicts would come to the forest. I'd be there inside the trees. I'd jump out, quickly sell the heroin and jump back into the forest. It was crazy. See, sometimes you guys go for walks and you're walking your dog. You don't even know who's in there. Don't mean to scare you. Amen. It's hardly it's nicer. Amen. I think. <laughs> Well, that's what my pastor told me anyway. So, and so, you know, we're there and I jump out one time and I sell. And I realize that the person I sold to, although they looked like a crack addict, was actually a police officer. And so as soon as I sold it to the police officer, all of a sudden other police officers start jumping out on me. It was like a movie. It's like, what? and they grabbed me and they took me to the police cell. And when they arrested me, they found about £2,000 worth of crack cocaine in my right pocket, £2,000 of heroin in my left pocket, about three to £4,000 worth of cash in my socks. And they're saying to me, listen, you are going to jail for a very, very long time. You can get up to 10 years in prison for what you did. And so I'm there and I'm saying, okay, look, I know I've been caught, but can I at least get bail? You know, I want to go say bye to my mom. I don't just want to go prison tomorrow. And they said, listen, why are we going to give you bail? We only give bail to people if we're trying to find more evidence. They said, listen, you've got the crack right there, the heroin right there. Forget red-handed, you got caught crack-handed. They said, listen, you're going to prison tomorrow. And as soon as they said that, I thought, Mo, why didn't you stop? But I sat down in the cell, looking at the possibility of going to prison for years, thinking, man, what's my mum going to say? My little brother, my sister, I'm not going to see them for 10 years. And I looked up on the ceiling and there was a sign that said, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? I said, yeah, man. I said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the gangs. I'm tired of the stabbings. I'm tired of the shooting. I'm tired of the drugs. I'm tired. But how on earth can I change? How on earth can I change my situation? How on earth? Maybe I should pray. See, anybody ever got to a situation where all you can do is just pray? And so I'm there and I'm about to pray. But see, I was raised as a Muslim. See, my name's Mo. The full name is actually Mohammed. My mum's a Muslim. My dad's a Muslim. I was raised going to um, Islamic school, Arabic school. And so I'm there and I'm going to pray. But in my head, I'm going to go pray to Allah. But then something says to me, listen, Mo, you've been praying to Allah for years. Allah ain't doing nada. 
You need to think of something else. And so what had happened is at that time, there was a girl who I was going out with. And so she was a Christian. And so me and her, we used to debate, Allah's the way, Jesus is the way. Allah's the way, Jesus is the way. And so I'd be um, holding up the Islamic flag. And so here we are now. I'm in the prison cell on my own. And I'm saying, you know what? Maybe what that girl was saying about Jesus could work. Let's try. (laughs) And so I'm in the prison cell and I'm like, Jesus, I know I've never prayed to you before. But if you can get me out of this situation, I promise I'll be a Christian. And so I just thought, I don't even know why I'm praying that. I'm going to jail tomorrow. Within two minutes, the police officers come. They say, hey, Mo, 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 you're allowed to go on bail. I said, hold on. What do you mean I'm allowed to go on bail? A few minutes ago, you said I'm going to jail tomorrow. And I'm arguing, and I think, you know what, Mo? They're telling you you can go on bail. Stop arguing. Get out there. <laughs> and I just get on a, on a go, and I'm out. And then I'm on the train, and I'm thinking to myself, what happened? What just took place? And I remember that I called out to Jesus, and I thought, you know what? Woo! That's a miracle. I thought, oh my goodness, this Jesus thing is real. And I rang up the girlfriend straight away and I said, listen, we need to go to church tomorrow. She said, it's Thursday, there's no church on Friday. I said, well, we need to find a church. And so we came up and I remember she took me to a church on the Sunday to the Potter's House Church because the Bible says, arise and go down to the Potter's House and there I will cause you to hear my word. I remember my first service on a Sunday, I came to a church just like this. I sat down and as I sat down, I begin to hear the gospel. I begin to hear that Jesus can save. I begin to hear that Jesus can touch you. I believed, I began to hear that Jesus can transform anyone. And the preacher says, is there anybody in here who needs to know Jesus? Straight away, I put my hand. I came to the altar. I prayed a prayer and I said, Lord Jesus, from this day, I give my life to you. I laid down my life and Jesus came in. See, all of the problems, the pit, the miry clay, all of the issues I faced was dis- disappeared because I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Because Jesus says he can accept anyone. Can you say amen? Someone shout anyone. Jesus has the ability to save anyone. And I got saved. I don't know what happened to me. Something, something just completely, I don't know what happened. My life changed. I saw life differently. I felt differently. See, that's what we need. Good old-fashioned conversion. Can you say amen? And I felt it straight away. My whole life changed. That weed got rid of it. All of that, getting drunk every night, got rid of it. Selling drugs and alcohol, I got my phone, I threw it away. I said, I don't want to speak to those boys no more. My whole life got changed. I became a brand new man. I even got married. You know that girl who told me about the gospel? She's my wife right now. Amen. We got transformed. Oh, my goodness. Jesus came in, transformed my life. And the reason I'm saying this, this morning... It's to let every single person in this room know that Jesus Christ is still alive. Can you say amen? See, I know we're seeing things going on in the world right now. We're seeing crazy things going on. And sometimes you can just scratch your head and thinking, is there any hope? Can I tell you there is hope? Amen. If Jesus can save me, 
he can save anyone. If Jesus can come into my life, he can come into anyone's life. Can you imagine? Now you understand when I said I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, wow. Lord, from the drug dealing, Lord, from the alcohol addiction, Lord, what about the people I stabbed? What about, about the times I got stabbed? And I'm stood in front of a mirror and God changed my life because God can save anyone. And I want to let you know, maybe you're here today. You're not sure about Christianity. You're not sure about this whole Jesus thing. Oh, because I'm too bad mode. Listen, that's great for you. Listen, if God can save me, he can save anyone. Whatever your situation is in this place, he can save you. Whatever your situation is, no matter what your addiction is, no matter what your problem is, can I tell you, Jesus is alive. And he has the ability to transform and change your life. See, the Bible says he sets our feet upon a rock. That is Jesus. But it goes on to say he establishes our steps. See, I found something very deep in that scripture. I found something very deep when I got saved. That when I got saved, when I became a Christian, I realized that God didn't just save me for me. I realized that God didn't just bless me for me. I believed and I realized that God saved me so that I can go and do his will. So that he can establish my steps. And what I want to leave with you this morning is that not only can God establish my steps, he can establish your steps. That you are here in this building. You are saved for a reason. You are saved for a purpose. See, I went to prison. I ended up going after nine months. I ended up going to prison. And as I was in the prison cell, I looked at myself and I'm thinking, man, I trusted Jesus for nine months, but now I'm in prison. What am I going to do? You know what I did? I said to myself, God, you established my steps to bring me here for a reason. There must be something you want me to do in this prison cell. I know I'm a prisoner. But there are other men in here who need to know Jesus. I started preaching the gospel in the prison. Over 700 men gave their life to Jesus whilst was in the prison cell. We baptized people in prison. I remember it was so amazing. We're in the exercise yard and we're just baptizing 35 men in the prison inside. All of them are giving their testimony. I came to jail. I sold drugs. I met Mo. I'm getting baptized. I came to jail. I sold drugs. I met Mo. I got baptized. Muslims were getting saved. I remember we had a debate with one Muslim guy. He's telling me Allah, Allah, Allah. I started witnessing to him. He, was, he came in saying Allah, Allah, Allah. He left saying Hallelujah. He gave his life to Jesus. See, I want to let you know that nowadays we're in a society, even in the Christian church, where we're trying to downplay conversion. It works. That's why we're in Hull. That's why my wife and I are here. Is it, is it a sacrifice? Of course it is. Is there going to be hard times for us? Of course. Is it financially easy? No. Are we bothered? We don't care. Because we know Jesus saved me. He can save anyone. There are people right now in this building. God wants to use your life. Oh, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a timid man. God wants to use your life. Oh, but I'm a lady. I'm all, God wants to use your life. Oh, I'm too young. <laughs> God wants to use your life. Oh, I'm too old. God wants to use your life. 
You know, I used to pester my pastor. Hey, pastor, listen, I've got a new idea. Maybe that's why he sent me far away to Hull. He said, listen, go away. That's what you guys need to do. You need to, Pastor Jared, I've got a new idea. I've got a new thing. I've got something. I need God to use me and establish my steps. You have a reason for being here. Who knows? Everybody's future missionaries, future business leaders. Someone's going to set up a school in a third world country. Someone's going to set up a hospital. You could it's establish your steps. Can you say amen? And I want to let you know that if God can save me, he can save anyone. And if God can use me, he can use anyone. Whenever you feel down and you feel, oh man, I can't do this. Just remember Mo. Whenever you feel down, just remember that tall black guy. Just remember him. And then that would inspire you to let you know if God can save him, he can save anyone. Can you say amen? Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. I want everyone to stand to their feet. We're going to sit. We're going to pray. See, I believe that Jesus is still alive. I believe that conversion is still alive. Can you say amen? I believe that transformation is still alive. And I'm telling you, if we would grasp it as a body, our church, this church, all the churches in the city of Hull, imagine the revival that could break out. If every single person in this room was fired up for the mission. Listen, I've been around whole for two, three weeks and I've seen there are people out there that need this gospel. I just walked in Beverly Road. I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is the dungeon, amen. But God has the ability, amen. God has the ability. But see, how would they know unless somebody tells them? How would I have known if my wife never told me? How many people in your lives are connected? How many people in your lives are there? They're in the pit. They're just waiting for you just to say a word. Hey, come, to, come with me to church. Hey, you know what? Jesus loves you. Can I tell you what? Just, just, just you speaking a word can bring transformation. Can you say amen? How many people want to be used by God? How many people want Jesus to use them? Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. Lord, we lift up your name. God, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Let's pray a prayer. Everyone lift up their hands and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I make a decision to lay my life down for your purpose. I believe that you have establish my steps I believe that you have a destiny for my life that I am fit for the master's purpose Lord show me what it is that you want me to do and send me and I'll go let's give him praise hallelujah Lord there is no one else like you we worship you. We lift up your name, oh God. Shandaraba Santo. Oh, yes, listen. That was just a brief of the story of my life. Amen. Listen, if you are a police officer in this building, 
who the sun sets free is free indeed. <laughs> I've already been to prison, sorted it all out, so it's all good. Amen. <laughs> hey, but listen, you know, I don't tell that story. You know, people hear it and they're like, wow, you just had such a crazy life. And the story's not the issue. It's the God that rewrites the story that I'm trying to talk to you about. See, I can show you people who have had drug rehabilitation without God. And see, that that's not the issue. I'm talking about God transforming. And I want you to know that not only can he transform, but he can use you. That's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to leave not with a new purpose. Amen. I want you to leave with a new fire in you. Say, so you know what? This building ain't even going to... I know you guys are moving, but this building ain't even going to be big enough. The new building ain't even going to be big enough. We're going to have to kick whole city out of their stadium and say, listen, get out. We're going to take that stadium. Amen. Revive Church. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for having me.